Truthfully, what happens is, as children grow up, we start to educate them progressively from the waist up. And then we focus on their heads, and slightly to one side. I think of the old days, you were better off. Because nowadays, they're all specialists. Everyone's becoming better and better. And less and less. And eventually, someone's going to be superb. Like Our education systems have mined our minds in the way that we strip mined the earth for a particular commodity. And for the future, it won't serve us. We have to rethink the fundamental principles on which we're educating our children. We're not here to tell everybody that they're wrong and we're right. We're not saying that we have all the answers, but um, we'd like to present a different way of looking at it. listeners well it's finally happened we have reached episode 50 of our china education uh, series based around all topics concerning educational content uh, we as teachers are here in the studio today uh, myself uh, chris j bradshaw and uh, mr torin alex eldridge toll shall i introduce myself next time then but it could be well, i got it right didn't i you did get it right yeah it was, yeah it's a real it's Alexander, but I'm not Ale- so Alexander Torin Alexander Tor- Eldridge Tom. You got to make sure pinky up, a little bit of a posh accent. <laughs> Torin Alexander Eldridge Tom is in the house. <laughs> oh, should I say the studio with us today? And um, well, it's uh, thank you for joining us on our fiftieth. The researchers said we should cap this series of uh, why you're so ignorant off with the, the last final few questions splurry. Um, so thanks for coming in again. Thank you very much for having me. And you've enjoyed, I suppose, uh, doing the podcast as you have listening to the uh, other podcasts that we have. Of course, we have the China Jedi show and tour and talk. Um, Next Generation, of course, this is the education-based education one. But I know you have been uh, fluttering around listening to some of the stuff, haven't you, since you've been in China? Absolutely. Yeah. So the that was the one you told me about, the, the, main, the main one you recommended. The um, What was the one you recommended to me before I... The technology one, that was it. It took me a while to remember the <laughs> name. Yeah, yes. technology one. Integrating technology into the classroom. Certainly interesting. I'm, a, I'm sort of an avid, uh, an avid user of using tech in the classroom. A lot of smart board, jumping back and forth between lots of different platforms. And yeah, it's just interesting to know all the different things that are out there. And, and all the f- things that are coming out all the time, isn't it? Left, right and centre from every hole possible. Uh, and so um, let's move into this then, this final, well, not final as in it's the end of the China education series, but the end certainly <laughs> of this Why You Are So Ignorant series. And, and basically, listeners, if you haven't listened to any of the recent pods, Alex and I, um, or the Tull and I, as I say, uh, have been doing these questions from the gapminder.org website, isn't that right, Alex? Yeah. Um, and th- which are framed around uh, misconceptions and the, basically misconceptions which lead to us um, really being a lot more ignorant than we think we are yeah. in today's uh, information age where answers to our questions are on our fingertips, but are they necessarily the correct answers? So, yes. You want to say something there? Uh, no, no, I'm, 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 I'm ready to get stuck in. Yeah, so these uh, questions that we've been doing over these uh, recent weeks 
have been revolved around the United Nations uh, sustainable, uh, sustainable, 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 sustainable development, development goals. goals. That's it. Take your time there. Um, which are basically global goals, a collection of them. There's 17, isn't there, Alex? Interlinked goals designed to be a blueprint to achieve a better and more sustainable future uh, for us all. Sounds rather lovely and rosy. But I do like them, actually. If you if you do check them out, um, the UN Sustainable Development Goals, they're nice, different coloured, mm. uh, 17 in total. And so over the recent weeks, we've been doing questions on various topics uh, relating to these 17, uh, uh, which are indeed no poverty, uh, zero hunger, good health and well-being, quality education, gender equality, clean water and sanitation. There's some really good questions in there, weren't we, that we tended to get wrong a lot of the time. Affordable and clean energy, a decent work and economic growth, um, industry, innovation and infrastructure, uh, reducing uh, inequality. um, And uh, well, there are some more here and they've taken, uh, sadly, they've taken (laughs) taken them away from my cue sheet. So um, there are 17. Oh, here we go. Put them in front of me. Thanks so much. Shishé, Shinkula, uh, sustainable cities and communities at 12, responsible consumption and production, climate action, life below water, life on land, peace, justice and strong institutions. And finally, on the 17th one, it's around partnerships for the goals. So we have a few more questions uh, that our researchers wanted to use to kind of to wrap up what we've been doing. And they come from these 17 different areas. And so let's get uh, stuck in, shall we, Mr. Top? Yep, yep, yep. I am. I'm really ready to roll. Ready to roll. So So these questions are sort of mix and match out of the others. They're mix and match randomised picks um, to display our ignorance even more. So here we go. Question number one uh, is this. Of all energy used in the world, how much comes from natural gas, coal and oil? Of all energy used in the world, how much comes from natural gas, coal and oil? Listeners, again, please play along with us. I don't think I said that. This is a, a quite of an interactive pod to show also how ignorant you are or non-ignorant and uh, to really get those misconceptions out on the table and discuss them. Now, Alex, you have three answers to choose from. Okay. And the listeners too of how much energy is used in the world uh, that comes from gas, coal, and oil. Is it forty-two percent, sixty-two percent, or is eighty-two um, percent of all energy coming from gas, coal, and oil? What do you think? So it's forty-two percent, fifty. Forty-two, sixty-two, eighty-two. Forty-two, sixty-two, eighty-two. I, I reckon it's got to be forty-two, um, but I reckon it's more. Hmm. How much development do you think's been put towards towards uh, clean energy though? That's the counter, because those aren't the most cleanest of energy sources. Those aren't clean energy sources. Those are ones that we know that contribute towards fossil fuels and... Yeah, so the uh, other side would be then probably clean, renewable energies, right? Yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my assumption, at least. Um, so I reckon it's got to be... I think... Hmm, I don't think there's much progress that has been made towards renewable energy... So I reckon maybe the middle one. 62. 62. Okay, 62. Let's, let's go with that. I think this is really difficult, uh, actually. Uh, I'm going um, to go with 82. Oh, but there's nuclear as well in the list. So nuclear will be also included. I know it's not, sort of, it's not as common nowadays. There are still some... Well, it's the best we've got at the moment. So they sell, tell us, don't they? So they tell us. <laughs> they tell um, us. So they tell us. <laughs> uh, nuclear, they're popping up everywhere. Um, um, 
Aka Aka uh, The Simpsons. Uh, so let's go um, to see if Mr. Burns is really burning a lot out here. 82%, 62%, Alex has gone 60 let's try. And Alex, uh, you are wrong. It's 82%, I'm right again. How much? Yeah. So um, many wrongly believe, 65% by the way, like you were wrong. Many wrongly believe that fossil fuels are no longer the dominant energy sources. You hear a lot about clean energy solutions and it gives the impression that they're already replacing the old dirty ones. Uh, But nope. Oh, wait. So, because they said natural gas, um, natural gas, coal, and what was the other one? Oil. An oil. Gas, coal, and oil. Those aren't... Maybe I've misunderstood. The, maybe I've misunderstood here because well, not for the first time. Um, <laughs> no, this is not the first time, and it's definitely not the last time. We're gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna make this very clear. Um, <laughs> I'm. So wait. Eighty-two percent of the world's energy comes from that. Yeah, it says here the free fossil That's... fuels, coal, oil, and natural gas are mainly burnt by rich people and rich countries. And despite all the talk, so far only a few high-income countries have cut their fossil fuel and only by a fraction. To summarise, the required switch to clean energy has not really started. I think that's the the, uh, the misconception that this right. question uh, revolves around. Okay, so that's 82% good... of energy still comes from those free fossil fuels. <laughs> and funny so enough... So I guess that's a good... That's a good... That a lot of people are aware of how high the number is. I guess in a weird way, the misconception is it's just not, we've not been progressing as much as we should. I mean, also, funny enough, what we talked about earlier, it's easy to assume that the remaining 18% comes from modern clean energy sources, but that's not the case. Almost 10% comes from burning plants, uh, wood, charcoal and waste, which produces smoke that adds to the CO2 in the atmosphere until new plants have grown, while nuclear adds 5%. And water and wind solar only contribute around 2 to 3%. Oh. That's really interesting, actually. I'm quite... Yeah, I didn't really know that. I mean, I know I got the right answer, but <laughs> I was just playing the, the devil's advocate. 86% I mean, of the world's energy comes from those free um, fossil fuels, coal, oil and natural gas. So we are, we've got a long way to go with that, haven't we, uh, dear Mr. Eldridge Toll? The more I think about it, it just makes me... It makes me just sad to think about, but... Yeah, I guess. I guess it is what it is. Two to three percent. I guess it is what it is. I can't stand that line. I say it sometimes. It is what it is. But yes, it is what it is. And now, question number two is coming. We we should. Yes, we should. And uh, my gosh, I did actually think it would be a little bit better than that, but clearly it's not. Um, Yeah. Well. Right. Question number two. There you go. Anyone in the um, renewable energies industry, you've got a big slice of the pizza. Uh, to get a hold of um, in our lifetimes, which can be seen as a good thing. Question two, Alex. In 1990, in uh, in 1990, so 30 years ago, around 58% of the world's population lived in low-income countries. Uh, what is the share today? In 1990, 58% of the world's population lived in low-income countries. What is the share today? Is it 9%? or 61% of the world's population that live in low-income countries. Remember, it was 58% 30 years ago. What are you thinking? We've done this question. We're not meant to tell the listeners. (laughs) We did this question, I think, in one of the previous ones, didn't we? I think this was the question that you shouted over the desk to me 
And I said, oh, that's interesting. Where did you get these questions from? And you oh, went, this the question? gapminded.org. And I went, oh, that's good. That could be I a thought... good podcast. I better talk to the researchers. And they liked it. And we go with it. And now we're finishing it. So, you know, the answer, 9%, 37% or 61% are now living in 2020, uh, about to go into 2021, in lower-income situations. Say the numbers again. <laughs> Sorry. 9%, 37%, or 61%. It was 58% 30 years ago. You can imagine it's gone down. Yes. Um, so 9% or 37%? I mean, it's 9%. Okay, let's do it. And the answer is, for once, tell you've got it right. Uh, 9%. I think now, we did this question. Ninety-five percent of people answered wrongly. Many think low-income countries are still yeah. many. They don't realise that average incomes have increased a lot in countries where many still live um, in in poverty. Uh, and so that does suggest uh, a lot of uh, progress, um, does it not? Uh, for most companies in most industries, global competition intensified during the past 30 years because of something that most of them couldn't anticipate and still haven't fully realised. The majority of the world's population moved from living in low-income countries to middle-income countries, not by moving to a different country, but they moved their country average by becoming richer. Many people in used-to-be low-income countries started manufacturing products, Yes, and made money by successfully competing on the global markets instead of being small-scale farmers like their parents used to be. They increased their incomes and thereby pushed up the GDP per capita to the point where their countries were reclassified as middle-income countries. And it wasn't just China. It happened in many big countries like India, Nigeria, Colombia, Indonesia, Brazil and Bangladesh. Wow. Mm, Yeah. I mean, it's great to know there is progress that has been made, but again, it's still, it's, you know, the, perf- the pitch is not perfect yet. I mean, average incomes hide inequalities, it says here. Um, the income differences are wider than ever before in most of these countries, which is yes, visible that's... when looking at the income distribution. I mean, you see that here even in China. Um, um, it's, it's, you see it's a wide a, range. It's something I get really quite angry about because, yeah, it's just the people, basically the rich are there to get richer and the poor can't do anything about it. If you just did think about any form of donation from that upper class to the lower income, it just changes. It. it gives basically a massive opportunity that essentially things will change. Anyway, that's probably quite a long Yeah, and I mean, you, and there's lots in there and you can't just chuck money at something and say that's going to work. Um, in a lot of cases, it exactly sadly that. doesn't. But yes, there's, there's something wrong. There's, there's not a balance <clears throat> there, I think, and there's not a natural balance. Um, right, question number three. Uh, let's get going on this one. How much of the world's economy comes from agriculture, forestry and fishing? How much of our world's economy comes from agriculture, uh, forestry and fishing? And dare I say it, from the land? Yeah, this is, this is an interesting question. I've, I've never thought think, about it. Absolutely not. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to sort of separate myself because I'm sort of forcing myself to think about um, exports, um, exports and imports between countries. And obviously that's mm-hmm. going to be quite high numbers, you know, obviously because of climate. Um, what are the percentages? Yeah, I should give the answer, shouldn't I? Well, is it 4% of the world's economy, 24% or 44%? Uh, of the world's economy comes from agriculture, uh, farming, uh, using our land to grow things, forestry, I guess, cutting down forests, right? Yeah. Um, using wood and things like this, and fishing. Yes. What do you okay. reckon? 
Um, I've got no idea. I'm not sh- I'm, str- I'm Okay. I mean, we use I'm a lot of think, our... I'm going to think about this quite logically, because it says the world's economy. What's the biggest thing to do with economy? What's the biggest thing? What is the biggest contributor towards... What is the biggest contributor towards economy, do you, to the economy, do you think? Well, money. Yes. <laughs> but um, money, not money thinking, for natural goods, though, I would say. That's maybe what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. It's going to be less from the land, so yeah, I guess. Yeah, more tertiary type, like services, secondary, like products. I remember business studies. Uh, we yeah, have, that's uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Prime> <laughs> back to right. secondary school now. Um, it's got to be, there'll be services and then also, you know, electronics, cars, etc. It'll be massive things. And obviously, you know, they cost a lot of money. Machinery, I reckon it's, I could see it being 24, but I, mm. in a weird way, I think if I, now that I've thought about it a bit, I would yeah. say it'd be somewhere between 24 and 4. But obviously that's not where okay, the answer down the lower, so a quarter of our economy or less. I mean, this is of the land. I, I mean, we do seem to rape and pillage our beautiful Mother Earth um, for oh, the pursuit oh, yes. of profit and pointless products um, as well that break um, after <laughs> a few seconds. Um, and anyone who lives where we do knows exactly about that um, for the pursuit of, um, I guess, capitalism, right? And monetary gain. And so uh, I'd like to think it's probably quite a lot. I- I'll go with, I'm going to go with 24%. Shall we do that? Yeah. All right, then. Shoot then on 24%, the world's economy. It's wrong. Uh, no surprise there, as we are so ignorant. Uh, 84% like us got that wrong, apparently, listeners. I, I don't know if, if you were the same as Alex and I. Uh, many people mistakenly believe that agriculture, forestry and fishing make up more than a fifth of the global economy uh, when you buy a product it's four percent by the way i was gonna say yeah you're gonna say the answer at some point (laughs) when when you buy a product just a tiny fraction of the price goes to the producers of the raw ingredients and raw materials poor countries won't get rich from such exports now that's my point you know i think that's a worrying trend that only four percent of the economy comes very much from those three essential land elements because I don't think we're respecting Mother Earth and its wonderful resources enough um, as we buy it from the oh, primary God, yeah. source. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the amount of... I mean, also the whole thing to do with fishing at the moment, it's absurd. And I mean, 4%. I mean, I guess the other factor to bear in mind, if we think about, um, think about say, some of the machinery required for agriculture and farming, mm. once they've got the machines, they don't need to buy it again. They don't need to buy it every time they do, um, I know, hypothetically, a block of agriculture or a block of farming. Yeah. Um, Once you've got the machine, it's done until, you know, and then it comes down to importing and exporting between countries. So I could, I can, I can understand the the figures. I guess I would have thought it'd be, yeah, certainly much larger. Well, this is quite interesting. Um, most countries today are middle income or high income and their economies rely on some combination of manufacturing and services. And working in factories on average pays much better than farming, uh, fishing and forestry. Um, and services on average pay even more such as jobs in shops, restaurants, again, tertiary pet banks, education, healthcare, real estate or entertainment industries. Seeing wages from agriculture as a big part of the global economy is an incredibly outdated view, apparently, uh, Mr. Toll. Oh, wow. um, incomes from agriculture haven't been 50% of the world economy for 200 years and they haven't been around 30% for probably 100 years. Oh, wow. And if you don't realise that most countries, listeners today, have service-based economies... 
you're probably missing incredible opportunities to work in other places or do business study and uh, and indeed travel. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I mean, I guess, yeah, thinking about that a bit more than 100 years, probably, you know, probably um, less, probably around 30% less than 100, uh, 100 years ago, you know, industrial revolution, all of that kicking in. But then it has been, you know, 50% 200 years ago. I would have thought 200 years ago we still would have been more than 50%. Or maybe I, clearly, maybe I just don't know my history, but... Well, it's hard to know 200 years ago, really. It's hard to know what happened yesterday. Yes. Um, there's um, no country, though, Alex, that's become rich without reducing, apparently, agriculture's share of incomes um, by replacing oh, other sad. production. So, again, become rich. Rich in what? Rich in money. Unfortunately, uh, that's the case. That's, ri- that's obviously what it's going to be defining as. When we think of rich, that's what you're referring to. Yeah, and rich, rich valueless pieces of tree that has been placed to have some type of value by our governments. Um, Right, I think we should move on. Yeah, so question four, buddy. What share of countries in the world have laws against sexual harassment at work? Interesting. What share of countries in the world have laws against sexual harassment at work? And that's, of course, both ways. Um, Is it 35%, 55% or 75%? Unfortunately, before we even think about the answers, you know what's going to be the case. There's those that actually have laws. Yes. And then it's when it's actually practiced yes. in the courts and in, in the office. We've talked about this, haven't which, we? Which, uh, it's going to make me sad to say this, because I think in the case of it, because of that factor, and because of what we've seen when we did that um, gender equality quiz. Yes, gender equality. I think... Um, I think, unfortunately, I think this one's going to say 75%. Yeah. But it realistically, it must be about like 50% that let's, actually let, let, Let's it. go with that then. Uh, 75% listeners, we believe, of countries have laws against sexual harassment, whether or not they follow them, of course. So let's see. Uh, it is correct. Well done, Alex. Um, you have understood the fudginess <laughs> of this Gapminder project. United Nations, we are on to your fudginess. Uh, but 92% were only the 8% minority uh, got that wrong, um, Alex. And that's um, an interesting one as well. They think the laws are missing, uh, while in reality, the problem is often that existing laws are not enforced. And that is the point you yes. just said. So in 2013, about, so in 2013, roughly 74% of countries have law, had laws against sexual harassment at work. In 2017, that increased to almost 80%, part of the uh, hashtag MeToo movement. I don't oh, know yes, if you, yes. uh, <clears throat> if you remember that whole No, and thing, I, but... I, think that's, um, I think that is actually... I mean, I, there's a lot of movements out there that gaslight and cause smokescreens, what's really going on. But I think the MeToo movement was, I think, pretty good. It's still going on, isn't it? So it should contact because there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that is um, going to be exposed in the next uh, ten years, I believe. Absolutely, as the wound seeps its pus. (laughs) That's a lovely image to to talk about. People have a lot of karma, I think, to uh, to work through, don't they? Yes, it's very. I think it's an it's very it's tough, and certainly as we've said, um, yeah, when. There's countries that actually have it, but there are other countries that actually enforce it. And whether it actually comes into practice in the courts, I think is, um, unfortunately, it's the sad truth 
about well, this question. Yes, it's a growing movement. And uh, again, if we're going to make these laws, governments, leaders out there, then we need to make sure that we actually follow them. Um, and um, I think this kind of law surrounding this is absolutely, um, absolutely necessary. Sexual harassment, either way, may I say. Um, oh, is, yeah, is unfortunately, it's... Not, is, uh, although I guess most men would probably, I mean, I'm being stereotypical here, probably like sexual harassment they'd, from, from women, wouldn't I they? Think, I think when it comes down to... The second law for men. I've had this, weirdly enough, this is a conversation I've had before. Have you, have you been harassed at work by a woman? <laughs> yes or no? No, I have not been harassed at work. Unfortunately, I haven't either. <laughs> but I think this is a conversation, I've had this conversation before and I'm going to try and paraphrase it so we can move on to the next question. Yes, that would be lovely. I'll try. <laughs> um... Ultimately, it comes down to misunderstanding uh, communication and intentions from another party. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying we role play, but in the situation where... (laughs) Hello, darling. Right. In the situation where, you know, say you flirt flirt towards me or whatever, how I interpret it can then be considered yes. sexual harassment. Yeah, that's a really nice um, Santa Claus jumper you've got on there. I like the redness of his nose. Oh, I know, right? It's uh, yeah. it brings the you know it it depends on how you take it. That's the key thing. Yeah. And in the workplace, and I think there's a there's a lot of levels to it because obviously you know we want to make sure we look presentable. We want to make sure we look nice. And certainly when you make an effort, it's if say I think this is sort of the understanding. If a, if someone who is constantly bombarded from you know catcalling or whatever, it's mm. all like you know their their shields are up. Mm. So where there is sort of that nice, pleasant comment with a good intention of, you know, trying to brighten someone's day can have very different uh, results. I am playing devil's advocate here along this scenario. But unfortunately, this this is sort of my view because as we are entering this now, as we are in this uh, PC world now, ultimately it just comes down to intention and if you are unsure on how the other person's going to take it, I think it's just, you know, you just don't, don't, don't ask in the first well, place. Well, this is the thing. I mean, the... now it's the mask, isn't it? I mean, before, now PC, you're not allowed to say anything. Now you're not allowed to say anything, but you've got to put a mask on as well. Uh, so I think we know where we're going. We're all turning into androids um, with no freedom of thought at all. But go back to what you're saying. I think the, the tameness um, is obvious in your, in your example. I think mm. what we're talking here of sexual harassment is, is literally a person being told to for exactly do a, a compulsory sexual act uh, to get, you know, what sexual, they want. So something so, like this. Mm. And you hear about these Me Too stories. It's quite oh, something. Oh, yes, that was horrific. Um, and I'm not going to say it's and just it's, the women, um, but I think majority-wise, it yes. certainly probably is. Um, majority-wise, psychopathic case, weirdos. Yeah. I think my scenario is more of like... Yours is a tame one. It's a tame, yeah, it's a tame... And it really, I'd like to think... But unfortunately, it still is... Con- it's, um, it's still considered sexual harassment. Well, I which... think your top's nice, and I, I wasn't trying to flirt with you. And, and that's just <laughs> if we're going to a world where I get arrested or penalised or something like this, I think uh, I think it's absolutely ridiculous what what we're living in. Absolutely poo poo that, and take your mask off. Shall I say uh, that as this time. is a podcast and being recorded? On the record, I appreciate your com- compliments, and I know this makes. That's <laughs> yes. why I wore this. Today. Yeah, just in case you come back and get me in the future. <laughs> right, wonderful. Uh, let's, I think, move on very quickly from this question, and we'll go on to question uh, number five. And question number five is this: What share of the world's population lives in mega cities? Uh, mega cities being cities with at least ten million people in it. What share of the world's Population lives in megacities. 
cities with at least 10 million people in it so there might not be people might look like people might not be people um anyway that's for another time around eight percent or 28 percent or 48 percent of the share of the world's population lives in mega cities Mm. wow um i mean i'm gonna be honest i'm gonna be very clueless here yeah but um I didn't actually. I still don't know any me- mega cities that are that exist. I've never lived in a mega city. You sorry, say that again. Never you, lived in a mega city. Neither have I. I never liked to. And I have no idea if I didn't know that they exist. What over ten million people? I didn't know that a mega city existed. I didn't realize about I until they were saying about what's hap- what might happen. Rumor has it about mm-hmm. what's happening with uh, do I, um Oh, Juhai, where we are. Juhai, yeah. uh, Macau. Uh, oh, you're talking Shenzhen. about the Pearl River Delta connecting them all up into a megalopolis. They, that was the idea. Yeah. I've, that's, that's the first time I'd ever heard the phrase megacity. Well, I'll so, give you an example. Uh, Tokyo. Um, obviously, you know, Tokyo, capital of Japan. Yeah. It rose, it grew, it developed. Um, it's just gone up. And, and then what happened was it got so big that actually an offshot, almost like a, um, you know, an amoeba swarming into another amoeba, um, through asexual reproduction, it produced another city uh, from its city called Yokohama. And Yokohama today is another 8 million, probably 10 million plus city that once was a part of Tokyo. So um, these are megalopolis, mega cities. Quite frankly, I think they're unnatural, unnatural um, and totally ridiculous. Um, I think we need to go very much spread out back to the land and um, get rid of these uh, mega cities. Uh, I certainly wouldn't want to ever live in them. Um, but for those who are listening who are living in them and you like them, well, good for you. That's fine. I like to dip into them and then dip out of them, if I can use the word dip. <laughs> yep. I dip, yeah. dip a trip dip and then trip, trip out of the dip and, and go back to my farmyard in the southwest of England with my tractors. Oh, jeez. I've not heard that accent in a while. Yeah, that one I might not read. I might not write. No, I, I'm, that don't I, really matter, you know. I grew up in that area as well. I come from the southwest country and I can drive a tractor. <laughs> there you go. Uh, it used to be the King's English, that uh, type of accent, listeners, wherever you are in the world. And uh, we are moving on. Uh, what do you think? 8%, 28%? or 40? I'm going 48%. I think the world's gone mad. People are clinging to this notion of we go to a city to earn more money so I can buy more things, but I still want more things and I still live in a small little box with loads of smog and pollution and the only thing I can possibly find which is healthy is maybe a green shake on the corner of the street before I go to work 24-7 hours a day and feel like a rat going around in one of those twiddly wings. Okay, I'm going on. What do you think? I would say maybe 8%, maybe right. 28 I'm going 48 I'm Okay, eight. Alex going 8 We are polarised here much like the current political scenarios in America. And I'm wrong. Alex is right. 8%. That is amazing. Well, I think I've showed my complete ignorance uh, there, listeners, although you probably realise that already, listening to all the podcasts (laughs) I've done. The one who (laughs) knew nothing. The one who knew nothing got it right. (laughs) Right, go on then. Wow us, Mr. Top. Wow us. Okay. I mean, so 77% apparently got that wrong. Less than 8% of the world's population live in mega cities. It doesn't matter which, what country you live in, in the media, pro- the, the media probably, uh, probably pays much more attention to people living in the capital and other large cities. I mean, that makes sense when we, you know, what we see in the media, we normalise, we, that becomes our world, so to speak. So, mm. yeah. And that's the thing. And the fact that I've never heard of that phrase... I think yeah. shows the shows the ignorance in it. Be careful here. So a city with nine million wouldn't be included in this statistical analysis, would it? 
9 yes. million, 8 million London. What, London's 8 million, 9 million? Like that, yeah. Wouldn't be a mega city. To me, it's a mega city. It's, it's a, huge. There's hardly any space. It's expensive. Lots of people, really mm. depressed, negative, don't seem to really enjoy life. I'm guessing, um, guessing New York must be. Yeah. I mean, I tell you what, plop me, researchers, could we do a test? Plop me in a mega city and give me over a hundred thousand pounds. We'll say we start with GBP a year, and um, and um, I'm sure I'll enjoy myself very much. Uh, but pop me in oh, there. Oh wow! Uh, what? New York is apparently, according to according to this, New York is not a mega city. Are you looking to further your career in education? Teach Now offers a convenient online teacher preparation and master's degree program completed anywhere in the world. Reach Now for Teach Now. Ain't no time for defeat now. Teachers get off your seats now. Future generations need you now. Work with people all over the world in a collaborative, activity-based teaching environment. To learn more, visit teach-now.edu. Expertise that is really outside of the box. I would have thought New York would have been because obviously it spans out massive because you've even I it depends on how you think of it like I would even consider like parts of Newark yeah um, part of New York City but then obviously you've got Brooklyn Queens um, uh, Manhattan the list goes on wow um, it's like less than 8% of the world's population live in mega cities yeah, but a lot more percentages live in big cities that are nearly like mega cities. I'm sorry, I don't like this question. Yeah. I think I think we should move on. I, I, I really do think it's gone mad. I mean, look at Japan, for example, where my wife's from. So many, 75% of people now live in the big city, free city areas of Nagoya, Tokyo and Kansai region, which is Osaka, Kobe uh, and Kyoto. And, 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 then, and therefore, 25% of people only live in the beautiful, wonderful countrysides of Japan, um, such as old people. And now they're dying, um, have a large race of, of elderly that are now dead. Uh, the younger people who have fled to the cities to make more money and live a lovely life, says the slap of my knee, don't want to go back. So, you know, regardless of this misconception you're trying to show us, Gapminder and United Nations and UNESCO hot chocolate and whoever else you are, who you are, WHO, I don't like it. It's fudged. And um, there is a big, there's a big problem. It's skewed. There's too many of these big cities. It's not natural to have so many people in such a small space. I mean, looking out the studio here, we see this megalopolis buildings, um, I, I just don't know. I just look at it and I just say, this is not living with nature, Alex. This is not living in the way nature intends itself to work and live within a diverse, wonderfully balanced, organic society. I agree. Yeah. I reflect, certainly, yeah, reflecting on my upbringing, I was fortunate enough to grow in a very rural area. Yeah. Playing the woods and oh, yeah. roll For- around in mud and... Have you ever, you've not been to the Forest of Dean? Of course. Yeah, yeah For- where, where Fred West was and he buried all those women under the... Well, cheers for making <laughs> no, it lovely and Because I drove there once to camp in the Forest of Jean with some old Forest friends. Forest of Jean. Forest, Forest of Jean. Jean. <laughs> Forest of Dean, uh, which is in South Wales, uh, may I just say. It's not South Wales. <laughs> it's next to it's, South Wales. It's, you've got the border of England and Wales. You've got the River Severn. There's the border. Yeah. And then... It's close to Wales. Wales. Yeah, it's just off yeah. the border. So you've got Wye Valley. So the Wye Valley in the Forest of Dean. Wye Valley is on Wales. Um Forest of Dean right next to it and that's in England. I mean beautiful parts of oh, of, of England and close to where I'm from of course in, in the southwest. Oh yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. Like it's a lot of farmland. Um lot of far- yeah, a lot of farmlands. I mean I mean if you are 
for those sort of people who are, can, can sort of remember what it is, it is that one place that's featured in Harry Potter for a brief moment, oh and that's how people know of the Forest of Dean. Well, <laughs> I also know of it because it's near where Fred West lived and i remember it was like halloween or something we drove up near to the house which has been boarded off now you can't go into it this is a guy do you remember they found loads of dead bodies under his house over the years he'd um, murdered various people he invited back sick psychopathic there's tons of them alex um but please yeah, do visit we... the forest of steve i mean gene <laughs> sorry i mean dean and um it is and, a beautiful and, place. And maybe pay alex a visit when he frolics back over April time, so I, I will there you say, go. He's there in April time. April time when you've actually so there's like sort of a two week period of the year where there's bluebells grow. So basically, you can just imagine trees growing out of the floor, like you know, big raw like oh, it just wonderful. looks beautiful, and then you just see a sea of blue because of all the bluebells that come up. Yes, and um, South Wales, Wales as well, absolutely beautiful kingdom, um, wonderful. There are uh, some beautiful spots. Place and anyway, so, moving on. Yes, uh, Forrest <laughs> Sorry, Dean. Look, Alex, uh, we've probably got a Twitter account or something. Oh, we can go over that another time. <laughs> uh, right, uh, next question is a question number six. Thank golly gosh. And it, and it goes uh, like this. After water, which raw material is most used in the world in terms of volume? After water, I've never thought about this. Which raw material is used most in the world in terms of volume? Is it oil, sand or wood? Hmm. I mean, it's got to be the first. Oil. Yeah. But then the other side of it is... the misconception. Well, I, I think if, I, if I've tricked this misconception, I'm slightly proud of myself that I know this bit of knowledge. Because isn't it the concrete? There's just, um, making concrete, you need a special type of sand or something for it to work. So there's actually becoming... Oh, right. And of course, you use it in glass. So, so for con- so for so actually when we're saying like all these it's weird interesting all these buildings and skyscrapers and mega cities etc that mm. are built being built. I like that how you brought the last question in. I know, right? It's very, always, very like, potable. <laughs> I've, I've learned. I've learned my experience now. I've done how like many that. of these. <laughs> Give you a pod um, clap. Well done. Um, yeah, it becomes that that sort of idea of concrete becomes a very finite resource then all of a sudden because of how much it depends on sand. And apparently there's also specific types of sand that can be used. You can't use sand at the bottom of the ocean. You have to use sand on sort of the coast and stuff. So as you erode away into the yes. into the land, to build these megacities, you then don't have the defences to sort of, to, to prepare from, you know, coastal, er- coastal erosion from the sea. I mean, you do... I don't know how true that is. No, you look like you know what you're talking about, which is a worry, I have to say. Um, (laughs) It's something I'm sure I've heard that. I think we should both go with sand. I think that's a good call. But is there a word for somebody that's an expert in sand? A geologist? That's a bit... Because it's still not just sand, though, isn't it? I I just wonder if there is someone who is absolutely... You know, you bring him in, uh, in the Oval Office, if you're the President of the States... Um, oh, if you re- so I need I mean, a sand expert. Will be on the next time. Interesting, a, a sand expert. Um, anyway, moving on. Uh, totally pointless I question. I could see sand to be true, but I wouldn't be surprised. I tell you what, Alex. Oh, I'm glad it. I followed you. For once, uh, you are it. right. Eighty-four percent are wrong. Most people don't realise how much sand there is in products we use today. They don't realise how much sand's actually being used. Roads, buildings, and glass don't look like sand but they're made uh, from it well certainly a, a factor of it is made up of sand brilliant so i was it. right oh wow yeah that's good good stuff i don't know how i know that fact but <laughs> any more interesting facts um regarding that that you want to lay on 
<laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a bit blown away by that. Um, Savile and Grand is mostly Savile. Ah, Savile. Sand and gravel <laughs> is mostly used in construction, like concrete, yes, glass. Yes, it is. Yeah. Electronics. Uh, the best kind. Of, oh, here we go. I was right. So the best kind of sand for construction is often found in rivers and lakes. Um, well done, Alex. Well done. I'm so proud of me. Oh, the listeners are just going to love this moment. <laughs> the medal is in the post. Um, China Jedi medal made of concrete is going to be uh, hung round Alex's <laughs> neck uh, with proudness. I can't believe I knew this. Well, let me tell you this. Scientists apparently who specialise in the study of sand, Alex and listeners, are called aronologists. Or arenologists. Aronologists. I'd say aronologists. You're probably familiar with a similar word, arena. Long ago, apparently, in Greek sports, arenas were covered with sand. Uh, Sand is of interest to geologists and oceanographers who seek to learn more about the Earth and its ocean basins. So um, arenologists or aronologists. There you go. Bring in an arenologist. You're an arenologist. Maybe that's your calling. Um, It does say every year around around 40 to 50 billion tonnes of sand and gravel are extracted, sorry, is extracted, should get my gram correct, which is roughly half the total weight of all materials extracted. Half the total materials extracted. Out of everything that we dig out of the ground, half of it is sand and gravel. Well, a quote from the UN Environmental Programme, the UNEP, the UNEP, is sand resource governance is one of the greatest sustainability challenges of the 21st century. So think about that when you're... I'm going to use the word frolic. I seem to have that in my head today. Frolicking in the sand and looking down at the sand because we all like sandy beaches, don't we? Although some people don't. They prefer going to pools because sand gets in their socks. Um, that sand is very useful. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still amazed I got... I'm still I, I'm, amazed I, I knew that. I'm amazed that you're so amazed about your amazing discovery. Um, Question number seven. Uh, Let's swiftly move on. Uh, Question number seven is... How much of the excess heat from global warming is captured in the oceans? How much of the excess heat from global warming is captured in the oceans? Mm. Is it 10%, 50% or 90% of the excess heat from global warming that's captured uh, in, in the oceans? Oh, gosh. Mm. I'm going to say it's got to be high. I think in a weird... <laughs> I must have watched a doc... Seas warming up, are they? I've probably watched, watched a documentary on this. I must have watched a documentary on this. But um, well, it's a massive body of water. So it e- massive body of water, easy to capture the heat. I reckon it's got to be 90. Let's go. I'm going to go with 90. I've got this feeling that following you today seems to be a good thing. Do uh, I know these 90%. random facts? It is right as well. I'm <laughs> Christ, Ladies and gentlemen. 50th special is where I shine, isn't it? Alex, you're almost as a tear coming from your eye. Have you ever actually answered two questions right in your entire life? Uh, maybe this is a calling. Oh, wow. UnitedNations.com. Get ready for the Tolster. He's coming. He knows what he's doing. He's got source to him. Uh, oh, wow. The 90% got it wrong, Alex. And most of us um, ignorant people are unaware that most global... A warming is hiding in the seas. As long as they think global warming is all about air temperature, they won't realise the size of the problem. Which, um, yeah, that's quite something, actually. Oh, wow. Not just about the air, is it? Yeah. 90% of global warming is captured in our oceans. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still just amazed I'm getting some of these right. <laughs> A lot of heat is actually trapped inside the atmosphere every day. 
Um, but you can't detect it by putting your finger in the air mm. because less than 7% of the excess heat stays in the air. Of the Earth's total surface, 71% is covered by oceans and that's where 93% of the heat sneaks away. Um, over ah. the last 50 years, the average temperature in the upper 75 metres of the oceans has increased by half a degree Celsius. Um, that might sound small, but as David Attenborough would tell you, uh, the amount of energy needed to heat up that amount of water would be devastating if it had stayed in the air. This also means that we should expect a very long delay when we finally manage to reduce the extra greenhouse gases we emit. Um, yes, yeah, so, yeah, ooh, dear. Um, I mean, that makes sense. Certainly the bit about, you know, being by the... So that would make sense then. When you live by the coast, it's cooler compared to when you live inland. And naturally, you've obviously got those... You've got the wind fronts mm. that come in, but then combined that with the loss of heat that's captured from the body of water. I mean, that... I mean, we've, we've hopefully understood more about, <laughs> about weather... Through this. Yeah, global warming. Then um, when you think of global warming, you think of, well, I think of the air, don't you? And the carbon dioxide and the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, But start obviously thinking about our wonderful oceans that we seem to be um, pillaging as well. Yeah. Right. Next question. uh, Question number eight. Uh, Remember, listeners, 12 in total here. Stay with us. Bear with us. Hope you're getting some of these right. Not as ignorant as uh, myself. Alex seems to be getting them all right. (laughs) Uh, Question number eight. What share of all plastic waste in the world ends up in the oceans? Oh dear, what share of all plastic waste in the world ends up in our our oceans? Is it less than 6%, 36% or 66%? I mean, it can't be 66%. It's got to be though. I mean... Plastic waste, Alex. Mate plastic mate there's islands that have actually yeah yeah there come are places up, yeah. like no no they're like yeah in some parts in a tourist of, zone i'm sure to go and see well they've actually built like docks out of the waste because this it's a resource that they've mm. that's washed up on their shores i can't i'm trying to remember where it is it's it's ridiculous it's somewhere in i mean it could be in south america i thought it's like sort of the island uh, islands islands um, you know, around Philippines, etc., around that area, I'm sure. The Analands? <laughs> or the Analands? <laughs> the Islands? The Ninalians. Make... <laughs> You're having fun here. Right, no. Well, I just, I just, all the terrible things but that happen to wild, like animals, sea animals and stuff, and they eat plastic. It's just. They've basically been able to make terrible. docks and houses out of the waste right. because of how. Because it's just a resource that keeps washing up on their shore, so they can actually build stuff with it. Yeah, ridiculous. So the sad thing is, I... Going for 66%. It's got to be. I'm going to go with you, because you are just absolutely whacking this one out. It's not, it's wrong. Oh, thank God, I feel slightly better about well, myself Well, you now. are ignorant. You're back to your ignorant self, because um, it's... <laughs> so it's actually, it's, it's less than... Six. Yeah. Oh, hang on, it says washed up. What was the word? It's 6%, uh, listeners. 86%, like Alex and I got it wrong. Almost oh, all ah, plastic. There we go. Uh, stays on our land. Um, many wrongly think, like you and I, that most plastic waste ends up in oceans. But as long as waste management is bad in middle-income countries, some plastic will enter the oceans, especially if rich countries keep selling selling their waste there. Yeah, we've talked about this, haven't we? I think I think we must have. Here you, you go. Know, rich countries. We've used it. We don't need it now. Would you like to buy it back from us? And what? We chuck it in the sea. Well, they pay. They pay poor. They pay poorer countries. Um, 
to basically sort and organize them, organize the recycling waste and process it. Whether it actually yes. successfully gets processed is none of that initial country's problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in fact, the problem is then that more than two billion people live in communities with no waste management at all. And some of these are along rivers and coastlines. Uh, many of them have almost no plastic waste. But for those who do and also live close to a coast or river, there is nothing to prevent their plastic waste from ending up in the ocean. When rich countries such as the US sell their plastic garbage to middle income countries, some of it ends up in the ocean because these countries aren't able to handle all their waste in an environmentally friendly way. Every day, a lot of poor people, young and old, are working hard to separate out plastic by hand from garbage piles because they sometimes can get a little money from recycling it. They're stopping tons of plastic from reaching the oceans. They deserve proper employment, indeed, better pay and job security. And with the right actions, a huge reduction in plastic waste generation can be made in the coming decades. But even with that, if the share that reaches the oceans is reduced to just a fraction of a percent, it still means large amounts of that plastic will keep accumulating year by year. And people will probably believe that no improvement has happened. Um, that's why they say here it's important to gather data mm. to track this kind of visible problem. Uh, we need real re- measurements, globally and locally. It's crazy. Just, I mean, plastic. I'm sure we've. You know, I've, I know I've spoken to you about since moving to China. Plastic, fantastic. Plastic. It really, it really is. I mean, I went. You know, you have you buy. You know, you choose your fruit and veg, whatever it may be. You have to then give it to the give it to someone to weigh. And I thought I'd be clever and not put any of it in a bag, mm-hmm. and hopefully they'd stick it on there. Yeah. Nope. They all just put it. Luckily, they sort of used a couple of less bags because I gave it to the all to them all loose, and they just put a couple of stickers on it. It's not just China. It's, it's gone everywhere. Mad. It's even. Got... And the thing is, you know, big supermarkets. I think about when I went to Sainsbury's back home. It's convenient. It's a big supermarket with everything in there you need. Naturally, you're going to go there, but that's the problem mm-hmm. because you're going to be able to buy your fruit, your veg, your pasta, your dry goods, except all those things that don't actually require plastic wrapping. It's all plastic wrapped. You have to go to... There was what It's I wrapped, knew, but it's fresh. It is wrapped and it's fresh, but then I remember there were markets it, nearby... It, it, how can it stuff. be fresh if it, it's wrapped? That's, I, it, I think that's a misnomer. Did I say fresh veg? Yeah, well, but fresh veg oh. is fresh... It's come freshly from the ground, yeah, and it, okay. it's there on you. It, it hasn't been, yeah. You are right there, packaged so, and sent to different places, and yeah, like, you've got to go to the markets then. Well, we'll bring back local community um, business. I mean, that's that's what we're losing now, isn't it? You go down the high street, go down a local street now in England. There's nothing there. We're now we've entered an age where convenience is our top priority. Yeah, and, and but it's and not I, the priority for our I'm, earth, is it? And that's the point. It's not convenient for our mother earth mm. that allows us to live here. It's not convenient what we're doing. I think we're conveniently being completely and utterly selfish. I, it's, and, it's, and, and, yeah. and, and, and you know, listeners out there probably saying, well, I am too. And yes, we are all in there, but um, we've we got to make big changes. And they oh, say, yeah. well, we can't do it. It's just you and me. How, what can we do? I said, well, there's, there's 7 billion of us now, right? I mean, if, if, you if we stop start. buying Coca-Cola, if we stop going to Sainsbury's, that's, that says something. You know, we will bring these big profiteering, capitalistic, globalistic um, uh, companies down uh, to our level. Um, oh my gosh, this is getting rather revolutionary here. Calm down, Chris. Uh, it must be the Christmas <laughs> I mean, spirit. You're not wrong, though. I do think, if you think about sort of those places, some of those 
green waste, you know, the zero waste markets where you can buy. Certainly, I remember a couple of them in the UK in my old, in my old city. You know, where it's just a big bag of rice, big bag of pasta, all the different types of pasta, yeah. chia seeds, all these different things, nuts. If, quite frankly, if they just had a section like that in a massive supermarket, convenience is solved, it's all in the right place, and you're then supporting, you know, the future. You're then supporting for the future. It's then, you've minimised plastic, plastic waste, in the key ways. I mean, that's the thing. Fruit, veg. I mean, when I'm certainly shopping here now at the moment... It's much more fresh and local, isn't it? It's much more fresh and local. At the moment, it's changing. But the fact is, I don't know where to go to get things that aren't plastic covered. So at the moment, I'm buying everything that I buy is wrapped in plastic. Even my fruit and veg. When children in the classes come in, it's their birthdays, and the mum and dad brings in the cake, chop it all up, They've got these now. They're they're not paper plates anymore. They're plastic plates with plastic forks that you put the cake on. You eat it after one minute. You finish the cake, and then it all goes in the bin. What's going on? It's mad. We are moving towards total extermination of the human race. My children, if you're listening to this in many years' time, and your dad's gone, um, and things are looking bleak, you can't see through the air because it's so polluted. Um, you can't talk and say what you feel because you have a mask on and something around your wrist. Just remember, I warned you on China Jedi. That's where we're heading, everyone. The thunderstorm is in the distance and we must stop and we must think and we must start using our hearts um, to tell us where we've got to go. Because where we're going, I don't think, is right. Sorry. I'm saying we're we ready to have that. Question. <laughs> Next question, buddy. Question number nine. You're complaining of me for rambling. You're, uh, you're getting caught up in this I as well. am, indeed. <laughs> Biologists have evaluated the status of more than 120,000 uh, plants and animals. How many are endangered or threatened? Biologists have evaluated the status of more than 120,000 plants and animals. How many do you think are endangered or threatened? Around 30%. Of those 120,000, around 60% or around 90%. I, I think this is big, Alex. I think we are, as I said, heading towards a very obvious reality of non-diverse barrenness. Does this, maybe this is, me, this is probably me trying to split hairs here. Does that include breeds of animals, you know, sub, 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 uh, you know subcategories within animals? Because I'm not saying, you know... Or like homogenised, genetically modified ones. I mean... Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, because that's something I'm just sort of wondering, because where we think, you know, think about dogs, obviously we've bred them to meet our various needs over the years, etc. Does that then include, you know, is, you know, would we say like, okay, because we've bred all these animals for, so, for all these different purposes, oh, there's only 100 left that we've bred to come this way, they're then endangered. Maybe I'm playing devil's advocate here, I, I mean, 90 seem, 90% seems insane. That does seem insane, doesn't it? I'm going to go with 60. It's probably going to be first. You're probably going to say, oh, everything's fine. You're an idiot, Chris. No. It's not as right. bad as you think. But you say that, though, 30% still not good. Because you're saying 30% of 120,000. We are then saying uh, that 36,000 species of mm. plant animals. I hope I've done that maths right. So it's all bad, isn't it? Well, that's fine. Researchers have put their thumb down, but never mind. They always do that to me. 30, 60 or 90. Come on. I'm going to go 90. Bring back our animals and plants. Alex? 
I'm going to say 30. Oh, but then I'm just, oh, right, but then fine. I know, let's go I know with 30. it's going to be, it's going to You're be. You're right. Ah, oh, the misconceptions abound. Well, it's the sort of like, as we've said, the police it's are coming little... in, they're arresting me, putting my hand behind my back. I'm bad for society. I'm very bad. Fake news. I'm all about fake news. Lamestream, take him out of the studio. The researchers are telling me to calm down. <laughs> I am calm. It's festive spirit. Uh, you are right. 62% of people, um, like myself, Alex, answered wrongly. Most people exaggerate how many species are threatened. David Attenborough, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh. I actually do think he does know what he's talking about. Gap minder. They're missing the gap. Um, as they think most of nature is threatened, they may lose hope and fail to take the right actions to save it. I'm not going to lose I hope. Wonder. It's hopeless, though, if, um, if people are saying really... Well, like you said, 30% of 120,000... Is 36, about 40,000. Yeah. 36,000 species. Just, that's just ridiculous in itself, isn't it? Even imagine 1,000 species, how many of that? If we put them all in the studio now and we have like, that's you know, Ace Ventura, all these animals in here, you're gone, you're endangered, you're dead. 36, I mean, it just doesn't make me happy. It does say 62% of people got that wrong. So I think it might maybe, I don't think this is quite an, as a question that sort of uh, hovers around the ignorance. Because I know what you were saying, you know, you were saying, oh, David Attenborough. I think, you know, David Attenborough, obviously, we know the legend. He is absolutely right. But the thing is, where I think this is the thing that I think a lot of, you know, someone like David Attenborough, certainly his big message is he is saying the world is screwed mm. the way we're going. So it's easy to think, yes, 90% of species are screwed, including humanity. But then obviously it's sort of actually trying to take a step back and actually think, well, hang on, we're not saying endangered in the next hundred years. We're saying endangered now. But then 30% is just ridiculous. <laughs> I like this bit. Sorry, on the website, <clears throat> gapminer.org, it says, most um, we have no intention, uh, they say, of trivialising the fact that one third of nature is at risk already. Um, but most people thought the situation was even worse. And we believe that may cause resignation. Um, you know, the only resignation should be coming from our world leaders, people in government who are not given an F about any of this situation with their policies. They're in for three or five years. They need to show that their progress is going up with a little chart with an X and Y axis. This is important. This is bad. Um, you might say you're not trivialising it, but people like myself who might be a bit over the top in terms of our actual numbers of this, and again, who knows where these facts come from, um, are not giving up hope. We are just uh, suggesting that the people in charge are hopeless and should fuck off. Um, we hope, sorry, uh, and I'm not apologise. We hope this fact helps them realise that there's still a lot we can and should do to reverse the trend towards mass extinction. It's not too late, which too may seem, uh, which, which many uh, do seem to believe. No, it's not too late, but we all do need to stop being too busy and uh, caught up in our own um, hamster wheels. Yeah. Uh, I think in all of our lives, how many people say, I'm just too busy? Uh, well, you're too busy to say you're too busy, so you can't be that busy. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on there. Right. Next question. Question 10. What share of the world's population are refugees, Alex? What share of the world's population are uh, refugees? 0.4%, 4.4% or 14.4%. We're not refugees, are we? We, we? I mean, we have left our homeland. It's got um, small. Uh, but certainly under not certain terrible circumstances as refugees are. 0.4% uh, then? 
It's got to be tiny. But the thing is, yeah, it's got to be tiny because, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 0.4%. I don't know why I'm overanalyzing it. And how about all the people that leave a war-torn country or somewhere where, you know, they're not allowed to live a free, loving life and they die and they don't get accounted for? How about all this those is, as well? So we know this. This is. I think this is going to be that sort of pretty picture. It's not So it's 0.4. Come on, man. You're absolutely spot on. However, we're saying 0.4 of, what, 7.4 billion? Yeah, I mean, people apparently, 89% of people get this wrong, listeners. Uh, people said there are 10 times more refugees than in reality. As they inflate the number more than 10 times, they probably think it's too costly to help them all. It's easy to say, that's such a small percentage of the world's population. But quite frankly, who are you to be judge, who are you to be judge jury here and actually say, well, that's those, those, hundred, those hundred million people are there to suffer. Apparently they're in the news all the time, refugees. So it isn't they surprising that most people answer this question wrongly. Actually, um, what's that to say? That uh, well, media has a big effect on what we perceive. <laughs> I don't when, know how true that is, though. When you I'm hear, not. Alex, there are 26 million refugees, it seems like a big number, but it's not. It's not 26 million is not big. Um, if you divide it by the total world population of 7.7 billion, then it's less than half of 1%. No, 26 million people that can't live where they're born is a big thing. That's what I said. Let's not <laughs> trivialise this, Gapminder. I'm sorry. You can paint... Okay, what's it they say? They're not painting... This is the thing. Because, quite frankly, how else are you going to ask this question? Even if you were to change the wording of the question to... This is also of us coming from an educated perspective now. If we change the question to out of the population of 7.7 billion, what figure is an accurate number? Mm-hmm. And if they said... If they changed it to... 26 million, uh, 2.6 million, and uh, 0.26 million, for example, a lot of people will think it's the smallest. Whereas actually, if they changed it that way, then that will be where the ignorance comes in. But quite frankly, it's them... I hope I've explained that correctly. Um, I just have the analogy of, you know, they say, you can't dress up shit. You can't make shit look beautiful, but you can put glitter on it. You can you can you can put That's glitter kind of on what it. What they t- do with their questions? It's because it's it's because they're using percentages, and it's understandable because percentages. I'm coming from a math teacher here. Mm-hmm. Math te- percentages are obviously a way that we all communicate. We see percentages in a day to day on our day to day day to day lives. Yeah. So it's something that we can relate to, but when we say 0.4 percent, we're forgetting that how big the 26 the million big service the, the actual bowl is. We don't know how we're not, we're actually forgetting it's. 7.7 billion people are in this 100%. Yeah. 0.4% is... By the way, these are just refugees as well. I mean, there's people this, living terrible things, just... terrible lives compared to what we're living that don't come under the name refugee. Um, I know, right? Let's move on. Yeah, sorry. It's a bit of a dark question. Yeah. Um, next question. Uh, question number 11 here. The governments, haha, the governments of high-income countries uh, get how much of their revenue from customs and import duties? The governments of high-income countries uh, get how much of their revenues from customs and import uh, duties? Uh, around 2%, Alex? 12% or, or 22% of uh, high-income uh, governments. So customs and uh, import uh, duties. <clears throat> I mean, so, okay. Yeah. So high income countries 
they are obviously high income because they are able to reduce products or sort of offer services due to tourism or whatever it may be. So import, I think it might, I think import might be smaller than it actually is. I think, because this is the thing, think about how high income countries earn, earn a living. Think about why they're in, why they're high income. They often make, are going to be making money from exporting. Yeah, well, yeah, what so are they? So it must be the yeah. other way. I'm no, I'm no economist here, but yeah, do they make more money from export um, than, than um, it, yeah, of course they would. It would be from export because you get rich country you you are able to export probably um so we're not also thinking about exports and imports in terms of food but also um high class services um yes. financial services things like this and i guess the other thing to bear in mind is high income countries so high income countries obviously is not just exporting goods it's also tourism because tourism does play a big part into it <clears throat> i'm i'm going to go with um, middle ground here you're going to go 12. Yeah. I'm going to be, just because I'm going to be different. Mm-hmm. This isn't the first time. 2%. I'm going to go 2%. Okay, let's do it. Let's go with you first. Oh, he's got it again. Oh, you really are on a roll here. I... 2% um, <laughs> of a government, high income government, that comes from customs and import duties. 82% like me, ignorantly got it wrong. Many hugely overestimate how much rich governments get from taxes um, on, on imports. They probably don't have to import too much, do they? If they're a rich country, or do they? I guess no, they maybe won't. some. I don't. It depends what country. Apparently, all, um, almost all of the rich countries' government incomes come from their taxes on domestic companies, um, people's Ooh. salaries, and the value-added tax on goods and services. In some rich countries, import taxes are discussed a lot as a potential way to protect jobs um, and industries. From, from foreign competition, yeah. Ooh, wow. And some specific import taxes can, of course, become real trade barriers for some products, even if they don't look impressive uh, as part of the total government budget, yeah. It is worth noting that many governments of the oil-rich states mm-hmm. pay most of their... Ex- uh, expertise? No. Expenditures. Expenditures, thank you. Yeah. Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> Expenditures with oil revenues. Yeah. And they are actually one category of a small, high-income country. Wow, where the income where the income from export oh, sorry income from import tax still makes still make up a large part of the government's income. Small islands, for some examples. Yeah, um, yes, Bahamas. So Bahamas, Palau, Saint Kitts and Nevis. Yes, yeah. they make their money from from import taxes. Of course, because. Cool. Let's be honest, um, islands find it hard to get everything on them, don't they? Because yeah. they're islands, so oh, um, yeah. they make a bit of buck. If you've ever uh, been to the if you've ever been to the Isle of Man or the Isle of Wight on the in the UK, you notice <laughs> how much the price rockets. Yeah, well, there you go then. Um, I think uh, I go to visit my grandparents on the Isle. I just go visit my gran on the Isle of Wight, and that's an island south of the mainland in the UK. So that's just. Um, so your main main income for it is tourism. Main income for that island is tourism. If I wanted to get a pint, I'm paying London prices. Wow, well, there you go. Island man, make sure you bring your coffers with you. Um, okay, that's a one for the economist there. Let's let's move on. Oh, last question, Alex. Wonderful as we Ooh, reach the times. the fiftieth exercise exercise fiftieth episode. Uh, not just you are losing our our will to speak. Gosh knows what the listeners are thinking um, to themselves. Here we go then, the last question. 
There are roughly 8 billion people in the world today, roughly, which, oh dear, which map <laughs> shows where they live. Um, each figure represents uh, 1 billion people. Uh, well, this doesn't, this doesn't work it's not very forecastable, uh, is it? Which is wonderful preparation. Thank you, researchers. There are roughly 8 billion people in the world. Which map the best shows where they live? I mean, let's look at this. We have A, B and C. I mean, what we're suggesting here is it's either most people are in the Americas um, or the Africas or indeed the Asias. Um, I mean, looking... No, yes. Got so, yeah. so it says the majority is always in... Margin, uh, sorry, the majority is always in uh, the Asia... Yeah, Asia defined and, by red. Asia and Australia, Australasia. The differences between them seem to be whether there's... More in Asia more or in, not. More in Asia, more, a little bit in Africa, or a little bit more in the Americas. Well, without trying to, you know... It seems to be it's consistent the, across the board for Europe and Russia. I'm going to go with B. You reckon B? Yeah, because the listeners can't see this at all. Yeah, that's fair. I might, I might say C. Just all right, come course. on then. Here we go. You are correct. It is indeed B. So majority. So it's over, nice to end on a winning. On so a winning one. I, I know, right? <laughs> so that's suggesting that half the population comes from yeah uh, comes from Asia. In fact, it says here. So most people don't realize more than half the world's population lives in Asia. You don't know that almost five. There are almost five billion Asians. Yeah, indeed. Wow. Most things happen in Asia. Mesmerize, mesmerize. Uh, wait, what? Right. Well, as you learn how to read again, the <laughs> easiest way to remember, uh, listeners, where people live is the pin code of the world. Apparently, one 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 five. You like that oh, one? That's, what, that's what threw me off. These numbers bit. help you remember from left to right how many billions live in each of the four regions. So, mesmerizing this code will help you guess correctly about lots of global proportions, like where most internet users come from and where most shoes are bought. The correct answer is often Asia, because that's where most people live. One, 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 five. One then starting in the Americas and moving through Europe over um, to the east, where we are now in Asia. I'm glad, um, you, I'm glad you finished reading that sentence, because I read halfway through and I was like, how is this relevant? Yeah. <laughs> well, apparently, ignorant people like yourself uh, wrongly guess that two billion people. Um, uh, most people live in Africa um, there are 2 billion people living in Africa have probably seen images of crowded African cities they don't realise that many rural areas in Africa are sparsely populated um, those who think the Americas have 2 billion people probably watch lots of media from the US a country that is talked a lot about but with a population that's only 4.3% of the world population so mm. um, yeah that, that's really interesting the pin code it says will change in the future as population sizes are shifting in 2025 Alex we predict, well, they predict, Gapminder predicts that you will have to learn the new PIN code 1125 as Ooh. Africa's population will exceed 1.5 billion, um, which they round to 2 billion on their map that no one can see except Ooh. us. Podcast professionals, as always, I hope you've enjoyed um, this 50th episode. Thank you for celebrating it with us. And of course, all the listeners listen in. And um, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll be back again, and who knows? Um, Alex, Sandra, Eldridge, Torin, Tull, oh dear, <laughs> maybe with us again, depending maybe on. Not. 
I don't know about after that, but well, okay. depending <laughs> Thank on, you very much for having yes, me. Yes, exactly. Depending on if the listeners <laughs> like you or not. This is it. Uh, as always, this is China Jedi, people. If you're an English-speaking teacher from anywhere in the world and you have a bachelor's degree but need an official and accredited teaching license to get a job, get a visa to teach abroad, or most importantly, to learn all those things you wish you knew before you stood in front of 30-plus students, then reach now to teach now and secure a professional U.S. District of Columbia license in as little as nine months. Online in no time, low cost, high quality, teach now, get in the game. Immediately receive a $100 discount of your tuition by signing up to the Teach Now program by the link www.teach-now.edu forward slash China Jedi. May the smile be with you.